loving kindness in the daytime and in the night his song shall be with me a prayer to the God of my life. Mm. I know, you're thinking. This is a study of worship? That's an sort of a interesting verse to choose for worship. You'll see why I chose that. And it's not the only verse. We're going we're gonna to have several. This is a mini version. If I did a full study on worship, I would include the rest of you, and maybe we'll do that next year sometime. Um, it just wasn't, um, there wasn't time to do it justice, but I think it should be at least a two-part, if not a three-part. Yes, we're going to do uh, a full two hours of worship, or roughly two hours of worship next week, so be prepared. This is to kind of set the table. We're going to have piano, we're going to have guitar, um, we're going to have mandolin, ukulele, and banjo. So, uh, now nah, I'm just playing. <laughs> what? I know. Where we went to school in Kansas, we would have bluegrass bands, and trust me, they had all those instruments and then some. So, the great British preacher, the Prince of Preachers, as he's noted, anybody know his name? C.H. Chuck Charles Spurgeon. Goes back, I call him Chuck. Yes, I do, because I, I used his daily devotional for like three, three and a half years straight. And so we got to know each other on a very spiritually intimate basis. So I'm going to quote something from Charles Spurgeon. Any fool can sing in the day. It's easy to sing when we can read the notes by daylight. But the skillful singer is he who can sing when there is not a ray of light to read. Songs in the night come only from God. They are not the power of man. So, think of having a song, a hymn, a psalm in your heart. A word of God, a word of praise that you know. And you can call out to a brother or a sister or to a group. It's something you have in your heart. You don't need to read it. You don't need it, the notes. And this is a struggle for me because I have such a terrible memory. Uh, so I don't have, I, I have stuff going on inside, but it just doesn't seem to, to, come, to come out. I wish it did, but it doesn't. But I know some of you do. And as you're going to see, part of worship is offering that to your fellow brother and sister. Now, I also use this verse because... If you'll, you'll remember, it's, it's when Paul and Silas were preaching the gospel and they got thrown in jail. Anybody remember that? Okay, so they got thrown in jail. And the jails in those days were like a, a dark, damp hole deep into the rock. Very uncomfortable. They didn't have beds. Didn't have anywhere to lay. You were lucky if you had any straw down there. Um... By, by any definition, they were primitive as compared to the prisons that we have today. Um, and archaeologists believe that they discovered the actual prison that Paul and Silas were thrown into. Uh, and if you read Acts, you'll, 
you'll get into that. And I think we're going to be doing a study on Acts, by the way, um, early next year. So be ready for that. It'll be a long study, just so you know. Acts is awesome. But when they got thrown in there, instead of cursing the guards or moaning and complaining of their plight, what did they do? They realized it was time to pray. The Bible tells us at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. That's Acts 16.25. So instead of groans, they had songs. Um, instead of cursing, they were blessing God. Now, I can't say that I would do that. And as many of you know, I, I spend time and a lot of time in juvenile hall in the boys' prison. And it has not been once since I've heard anybody sing a hymn or a song or praying out loud so everybody can hear it. It would be nice. They have, though, if you... Oh, they have one-on-one -on -one and by themselves, but not where everybody can hear it. Here, all the prisoners were listening. So, when we are in pain, typically the midnight hour, late at night, is not the time to get up in the middle of the night and start praying or singing songs or praising God. Although I will point out and call out one person in this room that does that when she cannot sleep. Often, Nancy has trouble sleeping at night. And so often she'll get up and she'll start getting into the Word. And she'll journal and she'll read things from God. I don't know. I haven't heard her sing. So that'll be interesting after this little sermonette. If she, uh, I hear in the middle of the night her singing, might be pleasant. But um, we don't always feel like singing when we're down, when we're feeling a lot of hurt. We feel like crying. We feel like, hey, welcome, fr welcome, friend. Hey, hi. Okay, so we all often feel down. We often feel, can somebody pass him back uh, one of these? Because I know he likes to read off sheets of paper. Colin. Just give it to Joe and he'll make it go around. There you go. All right. So it's, you know, there's most of the time when we're down and we're, we're hurting, we're feeling lonely, we're feeling like God's not hearing us, when we feel like, oh, geez, the world's against us, when we're sad about something, rarely, I would suggest, and I'm generalizing, do we start singing songs of praise. Am I right or am I wrong? Am I amongst the same sort of people that I am? But it tells us in Hebrews 13, 15, Therefore, by him, that would be God, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. It's part of worship. It's part of worship. Even, and I chose this to say that, oh, 
Can you pass this one back? There you go. She's going to run up like a fast little bunny rabbit and pick it up. Good. Okay, that's my last one. So no one else has can come in anymore. Lock, lock the door. Okay, thank you, Joe. So, if you're facing a hardship today, God can give you the songs in the night. And whether it's actually singing, or quoting a psalm, or picking out a scripture that you know by heart, at the very least, you could open up your Bible and be filled with some of the things and praise God that he's listening to you. And... You know, I wasn't sure if I was going to tell this story, but I like telling stories, so I'll tell this story. Okay, it's a story about a young man that I'm mentoring. And uh, I don't think you've heard me talk about him too much. i got to remember who, who I all talk to about this. But this young man has had a, has a, had a struggle since um, he got out of four years of prison down in, uh, in Stockton, uh, state prison. And when he get out, got out, he, expect, he was all excited. I'm out. I'm free. I'm going to get a job. Randall's going to be mentoring me. Life is going to be good. Except that he had no birth certificate. He had no Social Security card. He had no photo ID. He had no proof of who he was. And guess what? You can't get a job if you don't have a photo ID. And guess what? You can't get a photo ID unless you have a photo ID. Even a Social Security won't do it. Even a birth certificate won't necessarily do it. That's one big step. But you can't get your birth certificate from the county until you show them a photo ID. Have you ever seen a dog chase its tail? It's funny, but it's kind of sad at the same time. Well, that's what this young man felt like. He was chasing his tail. As he, as he called out to me, yelled out to me several months ago, Randall, I'm failing. The system is failing me. You're failing me. God is basically failing me. He used a lot of choice words, but that's, that's in essence, and he used the word fail. And I felt bad for him. Well, I went to the DMV five different times, count them, DMV hell, five different times, yes, five. Uh, and before that, I was able to, through prayer, have a lady at the county office give him a birth certificate if he answered some questions that only he could answer. She wasn't supposed to do it, but the Holy Spirit was working. So he had his birth certificate. And they said at DMV, just bring back your birth certificate. That's why I know it doesn't just work to have a birth certificate. Go back there, find out. Oh, yeah, that's great. Now we need new, two proof of his residence, two of his last residences. So, dude, he was in jail. And... Um, he got kicked out of the halfway house he was, so I, you know, I don't know. So anyway, had to go drum up to proof of residence. And he still didn't have a picture. They wanted a picture. 
of him. So I was able to get the youth authority down in Stockton to send me a picture of his mugshot. So I had that. And so I got, I got those, went back in, and they still wouldn't give it to him. This was the fifth time, fourth or fifth time. And um, I get mixed up. And the bottom line was somebody needed to sign off that he was legitimate. I, I won't go into the details. So I signed off on that. Got him back in there, and he wasn't with me, with me that time. So I had to go back in again with him. Got his photo, but he was basically homeless. So where are they going to send his driver's license and what address are they going to put on there? So he put the Gap address on there, sent it to the Gap address to him. It's supposed to take two weeks, three weeks tops. Three weeks later, no ID. Four weeks later, no ID. Five weeks later, no ID. Six weeks later, no ID. So I went down there again for the sixth time. I said, dude, same dude. He said, oh, you know what? They probably, the post office probably saw that it was to him, to your address, and said he doesn't live there. So return to sender, which would be DMV. And guess what? You'll never see it again. What we'll to start all over? Oh my gosh. So I had to set up a time to get him to go down there. So I called him, set up a time through text, go there. Somebody had stolen his phone. And so it wasn't really him. They were playing a joke on him. So I got there and I, I couldn't reach him. So another two weeks went by until I finally got a call with him. He found his phone, beat the crap out of the person that took his phone. And, um, and he's back in action again, except we still don't have his ID. And so what he said to me yesterday was, which is why it brings the story to mind, said, I don't think God's hearing my prayers. I don't think God cares about me. I don't think God, I can't see God. And I don't think he can see me. And maybe I'd be better off just not being in this world anymore. And of course I said, Samaje, don't talk like that. It's all right. You, you, you've made it this far. You can, you can go a little longer. You know, he's not singing songs of praise. He's not worshiping God. He's questioning God in his darkest time. I said, you got to hang in there, buddy. I'm with you. God's still with you, and I think God is going to use you because I came across somebody that works for a state senator. I wanted to call him Peter Pan. Dr. Pan. I'm sorry. It just comes out. Um, and so we're going to try to get legislation passed, a law passed, that would prevent these kind of things from happening to other people that are in the youth authority. So when they come out, they have an ID because it's just not fair because the, the, the system, the state failed him. Probation failed. Him. Everybody failed him. I said, so dude, they'll probably name the law after you. They'll call it Samaj's law. He goes, really? You think? I said, yeah, that's what God, because he was saying, he said another thing. I, I don't think, I don't see any reason for me even being here. I said, dude, that's the reason. God put you through this 
so that I would have enough time to see the state get get a hold of the state senators so they could make a law so it doesn't ever happen again to other people. You're going to be famous, dude. That's your purpose. That's one of your main purposes. You went through all this. So now he's feeling better about himself. He's still not singing any psalms. But he did find his Bible. He thought he lost it, so now he found his Bible. He was excited about that, and now he's believing in God again. So I said, read the book of Luke. So when you get down, and I hope someday you guys will get to meet Samaje. He's not a bad guy. You just don't want to meet him at night in a, in a, in a, a back alley and have a fat wallet. Um, a fat wallet. Or a marijuana plant. He's making money by stealing other people's marijuana plants. But anyway, that's another story. You didn't hear that on, on this recording. Okay, who has First Peter 2, 4 through 6 and 2, 9? I think I have that on your sheet. Who wants to read that? Go for it. Oh, Grant, go for it. We're a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness. So when we get in trouble, um, we have to remember who we are, what our identity is. We're special. And God expects, I think, and the Bible kind of backs this up, that we are to share his praises through all circumstances, in the highs and the lows and the in-betweens of life. And that's hard to do, because life can just knock you down, right? Can I get an amen? amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But you know, the typical thing is we, we have different ways of, of worshiping, all right? So we're going to just run through those relatively fast. Most people think of worship, they think of music or singing, right? I mean, typically. But there's a whole bunch of other ones, uh, like I have on your sheet, singing, drama. How would a play be music, be, uh, how would a play be worship? Or music, for that matter. Or creative arts. You've been to some services where they've done painting or other things. They may only do that in SoCal. They don't do that much up in Sacramento. <laughs> where did you see it? Thank you. Where did you see it? Thank you. Yeah, It's a SoCal thing. They did it. So, to answer the question about theater, I was hoping uh, our own Felice would be here. Drama ministry. Well, explain then. How's how is drama ministry a a form of worship? 
Nancy. Well, we engaged in drama ministry. Oh. We who engaged in drama ministry um, felt that um, that it was a way for people to kind of relax into their emotions, and when they their emotions were ripe, it's like they were full centered to be able to grasp um, the message that they were going to be hearing. So, preparing yourself, maybe. Preparing. Mm-hmm. Not just yourself, but the other people. So the people yes. were being prepared. Yes. Okay. And we'll, we're gonna, we'll come back to that, so remember that. It's a preparation. Things that pr- are preparing you, uplifting you, edifying you, and we'll go into definitions in, in a minute, that's a form, that's a form of worship. Um, whether it's singing, drama, music. How about prayer? Is prayer a form of worship? Sure it is. How about silence and meditation? Whether and you don't have to picture yourself in a church, by the way. Let me let me just preface that. You don't have to be in a church building. You don't have to be in this room in the remedy upper room. You can be in your own bedroom. You can be out in the park. And if you have silent meditation or you're you're in prayer, I wouldn't suggest if you're in the park you start doing any drama ministry out there. You might get arrested. But um, if you start singing, yeah. I mean, this is Elk Grove, for heaven's sakes. Um, so if, if you're doing those things, wherever you're at, and you're thinking of God, that shows a lot of faith, does it not? And, and praying, even if you're begging for help, requires faith and that that faith is a form of worship because who are you having faith to who are you begging for help from if somebody's sitting next to you and standing by you and say who are you praying to I I don't see anybody well my God to Jesus you believe in that yes that's a form of worship. Imagine when people say, um, I have several favorites, but it's like, um, well, bless you when they sneeze. Or God bless you. Or I'm going to, if some, if somebody, uh, uh, is killed or there's, there's a natural disaster, I don't know. Somehow this year, it seems like we've had a few natural disasters. I don't know if you guys are keeping up on that at all. Uh, and what a, what a dignitaries and important people say. Our prayers are with you. Well, you ever stop and think, who? well, wait a minute. Who are they praying to? In a roundabout way, and that's, that's not what their purpose is, it's, it's a form of worship. Um, thanksgiving. Fasting. Giving up something, which we do a lot here in Remedy every, 
around Lenten season. Lent season, we do that. We give up stuff. Uh, scripture reading, and of course, in any uh, Reformed church, and Kendall's favorite liturgical readings, right? Wow, how cool is that? There were some yees and thees and thous. And thighs. Tits and tattles. Or something like that. Anyway, poetry. There's a lot of poetry in um, Proverbs. Writing poetry. So... Where I'm going with this is that these kind of things help engage people in worship. It creates a setting by having an open heart and a focus on Christ, kind of like what Nancy was saying with drama. It, it creates something. It creates an atmosphere. It creates a mood where you can get closer. It creates, uh, even if you, if you turn down the lights, or put in some, light some candles. Isn't there something special about candles? I mean, if we, if we had chances to go into depth in this, we would go back to the Old Testament and how they did things, how they did sacrifices in the Holy of Holies, and who was allowed the priesthood to go in and get close to God. And now we've, we're over into the New Testament area, era. And we're allowed to get close, that close to God and have that intimate relationship with God. That's why we're part of the royal priesthood. Intimate time of worship, music, prayer, and reflection is important, important because it's a time to forget your worries and surrender your thoughts to God. You ever go into church on Sunday and you're just like, oh man, I'm just beat up this week. I'm tired. It's been not so good of a week. I've got so much on my mind. I'm worried about things. I wish I wasn't in this, the position I'm in right now. And I just need something to kind of commune with God. I just need something to where I can relate to God. I need to quiet my mind, slow down my heartbeat a little bit, not worry so much and get myself in a position where I can reflect on the promises of God. Am I the only one that shows up at church and these kind of things happen? I am? Oh, oh no, I'm not, I'm not, okay, good. And it's hard sometimes, because the world, you're, you're running at such a fast pace. Some of you try to get to church on time, that's not my problem. And some of you try to get there, so you're all running real fast, and, and you get there, and you're like, and, and then you drink a cup of coffee if they serve coffee. Now you're all caffeinated. Woohoo! That'll calm your heart and your mind down, right? No. You see your friends, woo, you're talking, woo. That's probably not what you say, but you know what I mean. Um, intimate worship is a time where. Uh, the environment, the people around you, like the people in this room right now, create a, um, a catalyst 
they can activate um, uh, uh, the the uh, the mood and the environment where now you can worship. What used to bug me in a church I went to is that I I had a hard time focusing because it was so noisy. It got so loud. There were so many people talking. There were people on their cell phones. And I'm not talking about cell phone ringing. I'm just talking about some people would bring in a newspaper and start, <laughs> start reading the newspaper in there. Yikes. Or there would be kids running around wild and crazy, yelling and screaming. Like, where's the children's director? Oh, oh, we don't have one. Oh, my, who's going to take care of these little rodents? I mean, uh, rugrats. I mean, um, children. I really don't think of it that way. I think they're the cutest little things. Um, it was the adults making a lot of the noise. So there was no environment for holiness. I mean, how, if this was a temple, where, where's the reverence to God? Where's the environment where you can be passionate about thanking God for all your blessings? How can you have a setting that seems so chaotic that you're like, I, 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 can't, I can't focus on what's going on? Even if you slow down your own mind and you get your own self together, then you got all these distractions going on around you. You're like, whoa, I can't focus on God. I'm focusing on all the stuff going on around me. Wouldn't that be a hard environment? That's why we make it so comfortable and so quiet here at Remini. Listen, you can hear a pin drop or a paperclip. That's how quiet it is. But if you don't have that intimacy, if you don't have that set up, if the church leaders aren't creating a balance where that can effectively happen, then they're not getting the, the job done. That's why in most churches, one of the first things they want to do is hire after they got a pastor that's going to preach. They're looking for somebody to be the children's minister. Let's get those little kids to the nursery or somewhere else, because otherwise you got all these distractions, right? So I'm going to quote you something a little bit, sort of a, a stream of thought from Ray Steadman. Anybody here, ever hear Ray Steadman? He is not, uh, but his last name is Stedman. That's Rick Stedman, right. I thought they were related, but they're, they're not. He's a good, good pastor, too. This guy is, is since deceased, but he's a well-known pastor in the Bay Area uh, and a guy that I, I just think his, his theology and his doctrine is just is right on. So whenever I do, not all the time, but sometimes when I do, uh, sermons, I'll, I'll bounce off some of my deeper points that aren't so obvious with what other churchmen say, like Chuck Smith or Ray Steadman or, and some other people, or Charles Chuck Spurgeon. So here's what he says. He says, 
The first sign of a healthy, well-balanced church is one that is committed to leading the community of faith in the worship of God through prayer, praise, and proclamation. Now, you heard of prayer and praise, but proclamation is not often a word you hear, unless you go to a Reformed church. Yes. I'm not picking on you. It's just, I'm just stating the facts here. So, um, as you might imagine, prayer is inseparable. I mean, it's part of the fabric of worship that everybody would agree to. What did Jesus call it when he went into the, uh, uh, the den of thieves in the temple and he knocked over tables and he got all angry and all that? What did he say? My house is a house of what? Praise. Yes. Praise and prayer. Or prayer and praise. Or prayer. Maybe it was praise. I thought it was prayer. Yeah. It's one of those P words. Um, so he didn't say proclamation, though. But he did. I think it was a house of prayer. And, and so if Jesus says it, I don't know about you, but I'm good with it. If he says his house of worship is a house of prayer, then I think that's what it should be, is a house of prayer. So if, there, if there's not a lot of prayer going on, then... I don't know. It should be. It'd almost be unthinkable for a church not to have a service without prayer, right? So from the very inception of the early Christian church, it's been a primary means of worshiping. Remember, the early church didn't have guitars. Or did they? They had lutes. But you don't hear it in the New Testament, as my friends in the Church of Christ taught me, there's no mention of any instruments in the whole New Testament's being used? No, there's not. There is? Hmm. What? Anyway. Okay, we'll look that up. I'll have you talk to... I, I think that was a metaphor. Um, so, but they did use prayer, and they did sing songs. They did sing songs, and they used prayer, and they used proclamation, the teachings of the Lord. And what does it say? What is the, the prayer that, uh, the prayer of Jesus? Anybody know what the prayer of Jesus is in Matthew 6, 9? That I started off once. Who, who can recite it by heart? Anybody? No, you already read, didn't you? No. You didn't? Oh, go ahead. So that's how he said to pray. So praise is another ingredient of worship. Did I put Ephesians 5.19 on your sheet? Anybody want to read that? 19 and 20, read all of 19 and 20. Who's going to read that? Huh? Is all of it on the sheet? All right. It's all on the sheet. Well, I'm going to read it. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything 
to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, that's a lot of praise. And that's... So, imagine if you go into a church building on Sunday morning or Sunday evening or whenever you do your time of worship or you come here to remedy. And the way you spoke to each other, because you don't know all the time what, unless you're on Facebook, what everybody's been doing all week. Oh, wait a minute, never mind. Um, so sometimes you're not sure what kind of, how everybody's feeling or how their week went, right? So imagine if somebody came up to you with a hymn or a scripture, a word, a, um, a spiritual song, or they just said some encouraging words to you, some comfort to you. Isn't that kind of what we do in a way? Isn't that sort of what our fellowship is? It's, it's what it should be, right? If, if we don't encourage and exhort each other on a fairly regular basis, I mean, you don't need to come here on a Tuesday night to do it, but you can do it with a text, you can do it with a phone call. I mean, people actually do make phone calls and actually verbally speak to each other. I do it every now and then, once or twice a week. Um, uh, and if you encourage people, say, how are you doing? Like my sister-in-law. I, I rarely hear from my sister-in-law in Colorado. We just don't communicate very much. So she sent out a, uh, a text to me. How's you and your family doing? And I know what she meant. She meant with the Northern California wildfires, how are you guys doing? It's like we, re we reached out to them when the hurricanes were hitting uh, Florida because they have a house in Florida. And it was heading right where their house was. So that's encouragement. That's what brothers and sisters and sister-in-laws and all that kind of stuff, that's what they do. But that's what we should do for each other, right? How's your day been going? How's your week? Because we're not going to go always go out and tell it. We're not always not going to go up and say, hey, by the way, I want everybody to know I had a lousy week. So if you want to come up and pray for me and say you're sorry for me or exhort and encourage me, it's okay. That would really make me feel good. That typically doesn't happen. Usually you can look at somebody in the face and know, hey, you look a little down. What's up? What's going on? And that's, that's a form of worship. That's speaking to one another with psalm, hymns, spiritual songs, making music to the Lord in your hearts and giving thanks for everything God gave you. You can tell people praises. Hey, guess what God has done for me? I think we should do that next week when we do our two hours of worship. It'd be nice to hear praises. Man, some really good things have happened. I just want to let people know. What's that make, how's that make everybody else feel? Kind of lifts everybody else up, doesn't it? It's an exhortation. That's a word you don't hear floating around community colleges very much, exhortation. So singing psalms is a way for intercession, instruction. It's a way to internalize scripture. The great hymns of the faith, 
have stood the test of time? Do any, do any of you guys in your churches sing old hymns of faith? You guys do? You guys sometimes? I know they do in the redeemed churches, right? The old church, yeah. yeah. <laughs> nothing but old, hymns. old hymns, okay. But do they go before 1600? Oh my gosh, they get the really old, good oldies, but moldies. Oh my gosh. Uh, <laughs> that's old school, right? No, there's no balance there. However, the new ones, you have to have respect for the, the new spiritual heritage that we have with new songs. There's a lot of great worship songs and worship artists. Uh, contemporary compositions uh, are very uplifting. And everybody knows there's two main reasons why people, there's two out of the top ten main reasons that people come to Remedy are, one, postmodern snacks, two, no, I'm just playing. <laughs> no, not even fun. They, they come for worship and friendships, relationships. Those are the top two. And the other eight go way down the list. I'd like to think it's my humor and postmodern snacks, but somehow I think they're maybe number nine or ten. And my humor is above postmodern snacks, just in case you're wondering. Um, I don't know. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, so the last thing would be proclamation. What's proc? Does anybody know what proclamation is? Proclaim what? You're right on target, buddy. Go with it, Adam. Run with it. Proclaim what? Declare publicly. Proclaim. Okay, proclamation in a Christian worship setting. A church setting. Yeah. They're, they're basically generally accepted, universally accepted in the Christian faith, because um, we're talking about Christian pro proclamation here, um, teachings, uh, scripture. And that is a vital part of worship, hearing scriptures. If, if you're not getting scriptures somewhere in your worship, then I, I think it leaves a void. It leaves a hole in it. That's my personal opinion. Paul urged his protege, Timothy, young Timothy, to, and this is in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, to what? And I love this. This is my, my favorite thing to do. Correct, rebuke, discourage, I mean encourage, just plain. To correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will put up, will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Preach the word. So, this is up to your church leaders. Whoever's a leader in your Christian fellowship needs to be responsible for making sure proclamation, truthful proclamation, takes place. 
you have to declare God's word. I mean, again, from the earliest time that people got together during Jesus' time, right after Jesus' time, that's what they did. They got together before anything was even written down and talked about his words and proclaimed his words. So, when you proclaim, you're edifying. That's a, that's a popular word that's thrown around by most people in their 20s. Edification. Right? What's it mean? Somebody should be reading on their notes. Enlightened. Very good. You saw the light. Edification. You're enlightened. Exhorted. It's another one popular word. This is my definition. Pressed or prodded. Exhorted. You're in, you're, it's not quite encouragement. That's a close cousin. But you're kind of a little gentle push. I'm going to, like, it's like when your mother has this gentle way of encouraging you to clean your room. Oh. <laughs> that, that's, that's actually an exhort <laughs> exhortation. Sorry to press on a, a sore spot there, Michael. Um, and then, uh, <laughs> Michael, did you hear him? It was painful. Mm. My mother exhorts me to clean my room. Um, and you're encouraged. That's more of an uh, invigorating you, right? Or lifting you up really high, making you feel really good. Encouragement. And then there's what we talked about early on when I started, equipping. Nancy brought it up. And drama. So whether it's poetry or singing or um, uh, artist or um, teaching. teaching. You okay back there? <laughs> you're preparing or you're fortifying. You're building up. You're strengthening. strengthening. It's like when you, when you take vitamins and you take all those different supplements. Maybe you guys don't, but Nancy and I do. Um, we're fortifying ourselves. We're fortifying in addition. Yeah, look at this. Fortifying ourselves in addition to what our regular intake is. And spiritually, you need to, be, need to be equipped. That's why we actually, what did we do last week? We actually did a Bible study here. What? Yes, that's what we did. We, uh, we prepared and fortified you. So, that is all we're going to touch on in worship the final part of our worship is going to be a communion. And it's, it's based on, on the idea of community. So what they did in the old, old biblical days is the community would get together and what? Break bread. Share. Share all kinds of things. Um, so it's a time when a body of believers... And as I look around, I'm thinking everybody's a body of believers here. I don't know for sure because I don't know you that well. Yes? Okay. Um, I, I don't know. I just I don't know her that well. Okay, there you go. Um, so <laughs> uh, it, it, it's a time when you, when you get together and you have community. Um, it's a unification. It's like, it's like we become one in Christ. And it's also symbolic, right? 
of we used to be part of the old life and now we're part of a new life. We've been transformed. Um, baptism also does that. But we want to bring the elements together and this is the person I winked at's time to go down and get the elements. But you can go help him. You you can oh you're gonna go up here yes. Uh, I I didn't. You can go down and help if you want to. Um, it's it's in the bottle. So we're gonna <laughs> we're we're gonna have we're we're just gonna chug. I opened a fresh bottle of wine, and you can drink as much. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so. Uh, Yeah, well, I don't think they used those little plastic things back in the day. Hmm, that kind of tasted. They actually had to pass the bottle around. or a bunch of pirates. Yeah, the chalice. So we're gonna have we're gonna have a chalice. <laughs> the captain. Woo. Um, so we're gonna do that. So the wine we're using does have alcoholic content. So for those of you that made a vow when you were in seventh grade, that you would never drink alcohol until you were 21? No, wait, till never. Yeah. Oh, to never? I see the smile on your face. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know exactly what that means, Colin. I won't go there. Um. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, if you've, you've made this vow, um, I just want to tell you, I don't want to have you break your vow. For whatever your vow is worth, I'm sure it's worth a lot. So, um, especially if you made it to yourself and God and country. And um, but this has alcohol in it, but it's very tasty, by the way. It's sweet. It's it's not a Catholic wine where it tastes like oh jeez, this must be the gall that Jesus you know they gave Jesus. No, I've had that. Ooh, I wasn't supposed to say that. Mm. I confess, I drank some of the wine when I was a. A, an altar boy in the Catholic Church. So, <laughs> it is. And I'm going to make it solemn and, no, and none of this humorous stuff here. So, let me, um, a, again, let me reiterate. It, this is a holy time, and um, I don't, I don't want to make light of it because it is a time that it signifies the death of our Lord Jesus. It signifies the blood he shed for our sins. It signifies um, the fat sacrifice he made of his body for us, um, and it 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 represents his body, but our again our unification, our coming together, our being uh, us being sons of his and part of part of Christ, um, and. At the Last Supper, that's what he wanted us to do, to remember him. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for the, Jesus, for your sacrifice. You did suffer immensely. You, you gave it all up for us, basically your children. And we're so thankful for that. We remember that. And we know, we're all believers here, we believe 
um, that you did it so our sins would be washed away and we would be renewed. You've cleansed us, Lord, with your blood. And that's significant. You gave up your body for our body so that we would be born again, so that we would have eternity and we wouldn't end up with death. So we're so thankful, Lord. We worship you. We praise your name. We do this, again, to remember what you did for us. And we'll, we'll never forget. And we're so thankful that you thought of us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So, if, um, if you want to drink out of the chalice, it's one that came from Israel. So it has some special effect, I think, there. Um, or if you're uh, a germaphobe, and um, kind of like Adam, I think he's, uh, he's uh, um, yeah. We've got little, uh, little cups that are disposable, but don't spill it. Just, just don't spill it, all right? Because I, I don't want to spill it. And then we have uh, crackers. Uh, they have been made on machines that also manufacture nuts. In fact, some of the, the crackers are made are from almonds, made with almonds. All right, so they're pretty tasty. So there you go. So, yes, she's going to play um, some songs, and you can sing along as we go, mm-hmm. right? So you're going to start with what song? Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Almost everybody yep. knows that one, but there's the words just in case. But go up as you please, and if, if, and if you feel, let me just want to add one more thing. One of the things Jesus um, seemed to imply very heavily that if you have something against your brother, um, if you've, if there's somebody in your heart that you haven't forgiven, if there's something that you um, are holding a grudge against someone, just give it up right now. Let it go. Be of pure heart and pure mind uh, before you you accept these elements. Um, and if you're not ready for that, that, that's okay. And if you don't feel like you're in the, in the place right now to come with a pure heart and pure mind, doesn't mean you have to be, you're, you're considered perfect. doesn't mean that you haven't sinned minutes ago, hours ago, days ago. Because uh, remember, we're forgiven. Just ask for forgiveness to Jesus right now for any sin you might have, and then come up and partake. Does that make sense? That's good. So, I'll start.